0: Okay. Thank you for opening up your Bibles. We're in Acts 21. We're continuing in our series. We're going to close up the book of Acts together. Uh, I'm going to be reading beginning verse 4. So if the first four verses are behind me, uh, I apologize. There's just too many places that I don't know how to pronounce. I'm just starting at verse 4. And and we're going to go all the way to 36. See, I was like, Trevor, you don't have to say those, you know. You can just skip them. So we're doing that. Verse 4. And when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, and arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day, on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered to the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, Bring us to the house of Mason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from the blood, and from the, what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men. And the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover... He even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimius, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and once the gates were shut, and as they were seeking to kill him, the word came to the tribune of the court that all Jerusalem was in confusion, He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, and when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. When the tribune came and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, he inquired who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. As he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought out into the barracks." And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. This is the reading of God's word. Anne's right. We, we're celebrating a lot today. And, and what I want to do with this text is highlight not, not just celebrating what we do as a church, but a little bit about our heart as a church. You see, we, we see two real big movements in the text. One is this uh, desire that Paul has, and if you recall, the book of Acts, rightly titled, speaks to the acts of the disciples, now the church planters and early leaders of the church after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, building out the church, and over a span of decades, we see the uh, chronicling of their actions and the church going out and being built. And Paul joins their numbers and he's this super apostle, super church planter, this guy who seems to shrink back from nothing and he's going around planting churches. And at this point in the book, we're so encouraged because if I were to actually have the courage to read verse 1 through 4, you would see he's traveling from place to place to place. He's visiting churches that he's planted and churches that have begun that have been planted through the churches he's planted and everywhere he goes, he's greeted by Christians. You know, he would have the right observation and going, this whole thing is working. God is moving out. We are, we're calling this series Church on Fire because the nature of the gospel through the breath of the Holy Spirit is like wildfire. You know, everything that's happening is, is just a glimpse of one person. And yet we see gospel uh, presence and, and the Holy Spirit Moving throughout the region, in that Paul's experiencing things that he has no direct part of, and yet he gets to celebrate. Right. And every port he lands in, every city, he, there's now a community of believers, and they're greeting, they're, they're celebrating, they're living and acting like family. Now that's a sweet moment. That's pretty encouraging. And yet, Paul, in in the midst of all that, he's pressing hard towards Jerusalem. And if you know the story, Jerusalem being the epicenter of where the church was birthed and where it was spread out, spread out through persecution, but yet God used that to allow this wildfire to grow. And Paul's going, I got to get back. And everywhere he lands, we see a couple things. First of all, uh, we see something that is distinctly Christian. This is not just cultural, That, that when they meet with people that they know, on their departing, they're persuading them to stay. That's cultural. They're, they're saying, hey, we'll come with you to the city gates. That's cultural. But they kneel down and pray. That's Christian. Now, I, I don't know about you. I grew up in a home where my parents always had borders. So like there, there are literally nights where I'd walk past a room in our home. I'm like, oh, it's somebody new. Uh, so that's normal it, for me in my upbringing. But some of you are like, our house is closed. Like we don't like having people. Like this idea of hospi- hospitality is new. There's something distinct about how we are. We are family in Christ. That, that when Paul leaves, it's like actually the Greek word as they depart was we tore ourselves away. Think of it. It's like Velcro. We had to just peel it off every single time because the church wanted us to stay. And, and that's bittersweet. You know, like, I gotta go, but I am so pleased that, that you are I- enjoying our company, enjoying our community. And in every place, we see that this, this emphasis is almost growing, like, please stay. But not just because of the family of God, but because there's this, this very clear and ongoing message, Paul, we don't want you to go to Jerusalem. In fact, there are those who are like, hey, you know, early echoes of this in the text is like Paul that doesn't seem like a great idea you know Jerusalem's been a pretty antagonistic place for the gospel you know there's this dude named Stephen another guy named Jesus they all died there do you not recall these things and Paul is undeterred. He's going, we're going back to Jerusalem. In fact, he, he arrives in the house of Philip the Evangelist when it says, of the seven. And some of you are maybe new to your Bibles going, the seven? Uh, the, that in uh, chapter six, we see that the disciples, the apostles, the leaders of the early church who knew and walked with Jesus, they're going, hey, we've uh, we, we got too much work here. This church family is growing and the, the needs are expanding. We need to raise up leaders who can oversee and manage these things. This is where we would make a biblical case, an argument for the start of, of deacons or lead ministers in the church. You know, These are gifted people who know how to lead well so that the leaders of the church can go, we're going to maintain the ministry of the word and prayer. And, and we see among that group is this guy. We actually see him later on being this super evangelist, sharing the gospel with people far from God. And then we catch up with him again in the text. And and he's now known as the evangelist. Like it's on his business card. We know that God's been doing so much more than what we get to see in these small glimpses in the book of Acts. And he lands in that house and he says he's got four daughters who prophesy. I don't know what, like, I I live in a house full of women. I always feel like I, I don't know what's going on. Philip had that on steroids. And he lands in that home, and it's not through through that, but God, like God in his mystery, in, in his love to surprise, he brings another guy named Agabus. By the way, anyone expecting, there's a name to consider. Little baby Agabus. Enters in, and, and he prophesies, and he does it, you know, everyone's got a dramatic friend, right? He. he he does it in the Old Testament fashion. You know, he just takes Paul's belt. You know, excuse me, you're not needing this. Well, I, I do, but okay, here you go. Uh, and, he, and he binds himself and he's like, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt if you go back to Jerusalem. Like, that's, that's vivid. And, and he's right. The text actually says, by the Holy Spirit, he says these things. And, and not only that, we see later on in the text, he's chained by two chains, and the violence is so great that the armed guard has to carry him back to the barracks. We know that Agabus got it right. You know, scholars at this point uh, are divided. Some would go, this is Paul not listening to the Holy Spirit. I've sent you caution, I've sent you prophets, I've sent you one dude who's super dramatic being like, can I spell it out for you? And yet he's like, I'm gonna go. And then there are some who would say, no, no, no. (laughs) Paul knew the calling that was on his life, and it, it spoke to the courage and clarity that he still had to go. Like, let's just pause here for a moment. Eight years. Some of you still remember the early days. You know, we had like Two rows. And I remember thinking, man, this church planting thing is going to be easy. Because I had great people around me. I, I had big cheerleaders in my corner. I, I, you know, it was kind of the cool thing to do in 2015 and slowly became very much not the cool thing to do anymore. That's why we pray and we walk alongside guys like Wes and, and people who have the courage to do it now. Because that attitude has flipped. And I remember at that time thinking, like, this is, this is not going to be hard. And yet, if I knew now what I could have known then, I don't know if I would have planted. And, and when I say I, I need to correct that. I don't know if I would have encouraged the many of us who did this to plant. Because, man, it was hard and painful. The, the relationships that we would have been strained and lost the moments of going, God, I don't think this is going to work. God, this, this is crazy. This is so painful. Uh, you, you know, a story that I get to share now because we're far enough removed. Um, the community center used to receive phone calls from Satanist groups cursing our church and they would, uh, they would delete them for me because they're like, Aaron, you don't need to hear that. And I'm like, thank you very much. You appreciate your service. <laughs> I don't need to hear that. And that was, it was about two to three years of that, and just being like, God, if I knew how hard it was going to be then, I don't know if I'd have the courage to do it. You know, just because you have clarity, all the right facts doesn't mean your interpretation is right. You know, there, there are many times when you will look back and go, oh man, yes, hindsight is 20, 20 but thank you God for not giving me that clarity. And yet, here's Paul. He's got all the clarity he can need. This is what's going to happen. And yet, he has courage to go, guys, I, I'm willing to go to prison. I'm willing to even die. I'm going to Jerusalem. And you might have to ask yourself, why Jerusalem? We can, we're not given great clarity in that, but we, we see a couple things that come out through the, the journey and the text. One is, Paul has got a heart for Jerusalem. A deep respect for like, this is the, this is the mothership. This is like the, the home base. This is where it all began. And we want to, as the churches that have been birthed out of this, we want to support that. Because as that happened, the, the church in Jerusalem was under strain. And so we see him collecting funds. We see him, uh, and, and as they send him out to the Gentiles, they tell him, don't forget the poor. In other words, they're like, don't forget us. We have needs too. And and Paul collects funds and he brings them back. Paul speaks well of them. Paul, when he comes back, and, and Nick, are you not seeing this? The guy who's like willing to fight every battle is all of a sudden very agreeable. He's got a heart for Jerusalem. I wonder, this is my speculation, you know, God got a hold of his heart through the church in Jerusalem. And he's like, guys. Uh, because of your faithfulness. And I used to be an antagonist to what you did. I'm I'm here to serve. Notice that when he comes to James, by the way, that's James, half-brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James. So another cool story. We don't get enough detail on. I wish we did. Like, what do you have to do to convince your brother that you're savior of the world? Like, please. We'll have coffee time in heaven. And he sits down with those elders and they're like, here's what you're going to do, Paul. And Paul, in very unlike fashion of Paul, goes, okay. It seems like everywhere he goes, he's like, no, I've got a better idea. Let me tell you how it's going to go. And yet for Jerusalem, his heart is what? I'm here. I'm willing to serve. I know my calling. Listen, your calling is so much more than your comfort." As a church, we are praying for other churches today. But you also need to know that there are churches praying for us. In Barrie, Ontario, one of our partner churches is specifically holding us up in prayer. And they reached out to me and they said, Aaron, can you tell us how to pray? And I I gave them a one-sentence thing. I just said this. Our church is celebrating eight years. And in eight years, I've seen one really good and yet simultaneously bad thing. We're really comfortable. Uh, can you pray that, that we have fervency again to step up with courage into the next thing? And I was like hesitating to hit send because I know what that means. Like, God, can we have the courage to do what's hard again? Because let's be honest, we, we kind of know how to play church. You are an incredibly generous church. This is our elders. Every time we look at the budget, are you serious? Who's not doing math? Like, God's so good to us. And every year, every year, I'm serious. Eight years in a row, we've done this. We've budgeted to the penny, and then come the end of the year, it's like, man, we're tracking to be far and above. Okay, we got to be generous again. Like, that, that's you guys, and that's the Holy Spirit stirring something up really cool in this church. And so I love Calm November, because I'm, I'm phoning up all these church planters and missionaries, and I'm like, hey, we're going to help you. You're going to hear from our friend Craig next week. And we got to do that with him. He was overseas, and he's texting us some needs, and we're like, oh, yeah, we got that. Not us, but because of God's goodness. And, and you know what? That's easy. Hard is when there's sacrifice. Hard is when you're like, this could hurt. Hard is when, you know what, I might lose something. And I'm, I'm asking a church that partners with us, like, can you pray that we be willing to step into that? Because just because we think our comfort is the most important thing, we might miss out on what God has for us in our calling. Now, I, I, I'm of the persuasion, I would argue that, that if Paul got it wrong, God would detour him in the right direction anyway. <laughs> But, but Paul wasn't wrong. Paul's like, guys, I know where I need to go. And I know there might be great cost. And you might be wondering, how in the world could Paul have that courage? Simpl- this is, again, my thoughts. But Jesus said in Matthew 16, those, those who try to save and keep their life, they will lose it. But those who give it away, they'll save it. And you might go, what does that even mean? You know, think of it this way. In God's economy, there are no dollars. Just lives and souls. And in that economy, he's going, you invest this well, I'm gonna give it back to you and then some. But if you squander it, don't be surprised that when you unclench your fist, there's nothing there. Church, when you step in to a life following Christ, that's exactly what you get to experience. I was so blessed, it was about two weeks ago, I might as well tell the whole story now. Um, The Mustard Seed is about to launch a family complex in Ogden. Something I've known about for years. I've been so excited. We're, We're just a neighborhood south of one of the poorest neighborhoods in our city. And the Mustard Seed is like, we need to be there. We need to actually provide housing for families. And what a great time to be doing that. They did not know that our our city would be moving this direction when they did. And so they've got a lineup, hundreds of families long for a 24-house uh, building uh, complex. And, and they want to have a local church in the main floor. And so they reached out to us. They said, would you guys come? And, and Corey and I toured the space. and We're like, well, two problems. One, this is about half the space we rent currently. It's just probably not going to work. And two... You know, we love the vision here, but you need somebody who is called to this community because it is radically different than the community we serve. So whatever you do there, we will partner with it. So let us know. They recently put me in touch with a planter who has grown up in the community, loves Jesus, has been actively doing the work without the pay, and is like, I just feel like God's calling me to do it and is scared to death So we've been trying to have coffee. We've been missing each other like crazy. We both ended up sitting next to each other at a fundraising dinner. I read the name tag. I'm like, hey, you've been avoiding my coffees. (laughs) And we got to hear about this church plant. And I'm like, I was like, my church is 100% behind you. And then I got to phone up her denominational district. And, and, they're, and like, listen, I'm not going to name names, but they're like, you are the last denomination, the last church partner, the last person we'd ever thought would support this. In fact, we don't even have money to give to it. What are you thinking? I'm like, God's moving here and we just need to help. So can we do that? And he, like, they're, they're on Zoom, but they're like, yes, we're going to have to break all sorts of rules. I'm like, good, we're good at that. Because th- we know that this person is going to hurt and we're going to hurt alongside with them because God's doing something really cool. I believe that Paul knew, you know, if I give my life away, God's going to give it back because he's experienced that so many times. In fact, this, I, I would argue, Go if you have your Bibles, look quickly at Acts 14. He, he visits visits a town, Lystra, and, and he proclaims the gospel. They're not very receptive. In fact, they stone him and throw him to the city, uh, outside the city walls. And then he says, in, read in your Bible, see for yourself. He says, and then he got up and the next day kept doing it again. That, yes, speaks to Paul's tenacity, but but moreover, Listen, I I don't want to get too weird here, but if culturally you stone people, you kind of know when it works. (laughs) You know, if you don't know what stoning is, it's everyone would, you know, pick up a rock and they just huck them until the person stops twitching. And when they drag you outside the city gates, if, if, you know, they're not very good at this, they kind of know when it's like, hey, he's still making noise. You know, maybe a few more rocks. Like they were not just convinced, I'm convinced, he was dead. And although it's not explicitly said in the text, it is my belief that God's like, no, no, Paul, I'm not done with you. So get on up. And we know that, you know what, even if it wasn't a death-to-life thing, if you like Monty Python, you know, mostly dead. Oh, no, that, that's Princess Bride. Good thing I caught myself. Don't wanna don't want to misquote such uh, scholarly resources. (laughs) Even if that was the case, you know, he would have been so broken and bloodied to get up and keep doing it like God had to do a miraculous healing work. All it says in your text were the the body got around him, he got up, and they kept going. You know, and, and Paul many times in his writings alludes to guys, I've had these special connections, these visions with God. I've seen heaven. I've seen Jesus. I've seen more than I should. And part of me is going like, I, I just kind of lump this all together and go, you know, I just envision that, yeah, beaten to death, God's like little powwow, like, hey, that hurt, hey, yeah, well, I'm not done with you. Back you go and keep going. And, and Paul's like, you know what? The more I invest myself, the more I get back. So guys, why would I not go to Jerusalem? Church, if you have not done that, that's my encouragement for you today. If you have not invested yourself in a way where you're like, God, I'm afraid I won't get this back, try him out. That's his economy. Because if you're thinking, no, 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 God wouldn't want to call me into something where I'm not comfortable, I encourage you to read your Bible and try to find that to be true. I I don't think there's a story. In fact, you know that I work bivocationally and I, I work as a Christian counselor. One of my coolest meetings was, and I have to be careful with details, but got to meet with an individual who was a, a missionary. He was in town because he, an att- attempt was made on his life overseas. He was working in a region where to present the gospel, the local witch doctors would actually, uh, they would kill missionaries or they would bribe them not to teach the gospel. And so missionaries that were surviving were no longer teaching. Missionaries that were under attack were doing a good job and he nearly died. They brought him back for treatment and he's on his way back, but his family, his church, everyone's going like, don't go, man. You know it almost happened. And so I was the last stop. They're like, go see a counselor. See if you're right in the head. Go see a counselor and, and we'll assess if, if this is, you know, a, a good decision or if maybe perhaps you're, you just got some kind of, you know, hero complex and you need to work that out. And I'm sitting down with him and he's in tears and he's like, my family doesn't understand that my family's over there. And they don't understand that I know that either through attacks, or one day old age, or whatever, I'm going to die over there because that's my home. And I just wept with him. And I was like, "Man, you are, you are so going back." Church, that that's us. That that's the picture of when we send, you know. And that's I got I, I'm still working on this. The one part I hate when, when good people go. I know we're sending, and I know the kingdom's expanding, and I know, like, this is a good thing, but I'm like, man, I like that person. I like being with them. I don't want you to go. But if I hold them back, I'm going, your comfort's more valuable than your call, and that's so false. You know, we need to get behind that. You need to test that out to see if, like, Jesus, is my calling, is what you want to do in my life better than my comfort? And the answer is yes, emphatically yes. In fact, as, as we look at this, there's, so I said there's two movements. There's the moving to Jerusalem and then he arrives in Jerusalem. Again, he shows up and there's this whole, you know, you gotta love this. What do they do? First thing in their meeting, they report in and they celebrate. Pastors' conferences need to figure this out because we don't talk to each other about what we're doing because we're afraid that, well, if the other person's doing better, I'm gonna feel bad. I'm going to feel insecure, so I'm just not going to say anything. Or we're just going to get the one guy that we know is doing amazing, and we're just going to listen to him, and we're all going to go home feeling horrible. Like, yay! Like, that's what you pay for when Trevor and I go to pastor's conferences. Isn't that a uh, little bit facetious here? A little bit of truth tied in. We need to go like, when you win, I win. What, what God's doing in your context is the celebration for us in our context. And that's exactly what's happening. In the Greek, it would say this, they spared no details. Like this was not a quick, brief, you know, uh, what's your attendance? It was, can I tell you another story and another story and another story? Oh, after dinner, can I tell you this story? Oh, when, in a moment, I'll tell you this story. And they celebrate. And then James and the elders say, you know, Paul, we're so glad you're here, but there's a bit of, bit of a problem. We've had this massive growth of previously culture Jews. Sorry, they're still in the cultural world of the Jews, but previous Jews, now believers in Christ, um, they've kind of heard some rumors about you, that you're going around and, and you're kind of browbeating and you're making Jewish people feel bad. You're telling them, don't circumcise your kid, don't obey the law. And you, you might be like, why is that a big deal? It, it's simply this, one as you read your Bible, is that true of Paul at all? No. It's, this is a rumor. I, I take a little bit of solace in that, that people were people even back then. You know, you seem a little different than us. Your, your ministry work is a little bit, you know, outside of our context. So we're going to just kind of highlight what could be seen as a bad thing. You know, that pastor doesn't wear a suit doesn't tuck in his shirt. They must not be that serious about Jesus. In this context, Paul, Paul has every right, and it would be, in my opinion, very Pauline to go, well, let me at him. I'll straighten him out. And yet he doesn't. In fact, they they come up with this this plan. They say, you know, we've got a group of guys. They're fulfilling a vow, likely a Nazarite vow. He says, can you cover their expenses? In other words, he said, can you pay for their haircuts? Because they're going to go back. And if you go back with them, they'll see that this is something that you take seriously as well. And in doing so, culturally, you're aligned with them. It's it's political, but it's also totally in line with Paul. Because we see a a few chapters earlier than this, he too maintained and kept a Nazarite vow. And this is not a vow, by the way. This is not a sacrifice saying that, that there, there needs to be sacrifice given for our atonement to cover sin. No, it's just simply, hey, we, we make a allowance for that it, as long as your hope is in the person of Jesus that you, there's nothing you have to offer, nothing you could offer, your whole hope stands in your profession of faith that Jesus died once and for all, and that is enough, that you would be saved, then, then the way in which you practice cultural stuff is like, that's cool. So you want to be a little bit more uh, observant of the Jewish law? That's fine. You want to be more free of that? That's fine. As long as these things aren't creating, you know, problems for each other, and, and Paul's kind of like this, you know, in very much the, the way he wrote in the book of 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 9, where he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To the Gentiles, like a Gentile. He's like, I can roll with that because I love you guys. You know, if we know how to major in what's important, church, we're not going to be deterred. But when we, we get so hung up on petty stuff, you know, preferences, style. We're not just going to have no friends. We're not even going to have any gospel clarity at all. And I love that Paul's just like, sounds good. We can do that. I'll I'll go with you. This is is my church family too. And he knew how to act Jewish. He knew how to blend into that culture. He also knew what was going around was a lie. But he's like, you know what? For the sake of of harmony, peace, and bringing this big family together in, in some remembrance of functionality. He's like, I'll do that. You know, church, I really wanna get good at that. One of the threats, and, and here's, this is a good thing, we have more friends than our bank account can allow. So we're going to be encouraging you in the months, or sorry, weeks to come in the following months. You know, we support many things. We like to highlight that and encourage it. We actually have more need and more exciting things happening than we could actually support well. And we need to be wise about that. And my prayer is, God, I don't want to say no to anyone. Can you just up the resources. That would be way more fun. But one of the things is when we create these partnerships, I kind of... I get these question marks all the time, but that's not, that's not the same denomination or that's not the same thing or that's not the same. And it's like, no, but it's the same gospel. It's the same heart. And it's the same unity. And like, we want to get behind that. We really want to do that well. But you know what, church? That's really hard. It's really easy to highlight where we're different than to have clarity on where we're aligned. Like, that's why we, the one thing we care about here is just gospel. The best criticism I've ever gotten was from a family that said, Aaron, we're probably going to leave your church because we we don't think you've gotten over the gospel yet. (laughs) I wrote back saying, nope, I haven't. I don't want to. That's like, that's the one thing I got. We're going to beat that drum all day long. And we're going to walk alongside those who do. And as we do that, you know what? We're going to see that this kingdom is a whole lot bigger than we thought a lot more diverse too one of the encouraging things i see about paul is despite all this there there's this ability to see that you know he he's not the leader but he's a link in the chain i was thinking about you know okay mission hill celebrating a birthday where marking all these little milestones along the way. In some respects, they're big. In other respects, they're so small and minute. It doesn't really matter. But, but here's the thing that does. We are a link in the, in the chain, and we get to offer something big when our attitudes and our hearts are right. And church, I've, I've seen that have echoes in the city, and I want that to keep happening. And if we break that down even further, you are links in our church family. What you contribute through your gifts, through your heart for Jesus, and the relationships you have, it keeps us healthy to keep doing that. And so every time we get up and we're like, hey church, we're doing this. Well, we're not unless we're, we're united. And so you know, here's where I really want to challenge us. Uh, that prayer is sincere. That, that we be willing to step into what's hard, knowing that God will meet us in that, and that we'll grow. That that where we invest ourselves, God will give us so much back in return. But that's scary, I know. It's scary because I'm actually promising there'll be bumps along the way. There'll be attacks. And and there'll be hardship. It's also scary because, you know what, there might be times in which we'll get friendly fire from our own team. And we'll not know what to do with it. And rather than firing back, we're just going to go, we'll love and bless and we'll work with you. And church, all that is just, what's that going to create? An unbreakable link in a gospel family chain. That's what we're calling you to be. In fact, we get to do this in an act of response. Bill, in a moment, is going to come up and lead us in communion. But as the worship team comes up, I'm going to pray, and you're provided an opportunity to come and receive the elements. I, I just want you to to reflect on this. If you're a follower of Christ, and I defined it already this morning this way, that your only hope is the work of Jesus and what that means for you to be saved. If that's you, then when you come and receive these elements, you're simply saying this, Jesus, I know that you gave your life for me so that I could have one, and I wanna give mine back to you so that my life would be worth living. This is not something to squander. So let's give it away and invest it wisely. So Jesus, I thank you for your word and I pray you be glorified and honored in it. I thank you for this church family. Thank you for the many things we can celebrate, the many things that we get to just go, wow, Jesus, you're doing that. But Lord, for the many things that you want to do and our hearts are resistant to it, would you soften them now? And give us those first steps to be responsive. For those who are hearing this going, I I thought I had to bring all this other stuff to the table to receive from God, that Lord, they would be encouraged to know, Lord, it's not anything we bring, but what you've done. In fact, this very picture of what we're about to do is we're going to the table and receiving what you've given in faith. Lord, to say, we're yours. Would you use us? And I pray that on a day that we celebrate his anniversary, Lord, would it be a recommitment to the thing that you called us originally to do, and that was plant something not for ourselves. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.